$9.99, plus many other great August specials. Friendly hometown service, people who know and want to help. That's Napa Know-How, 419 North Broadway in Portland. Music, news, talk, and sports. WQKR Portland, 1270 AM and 101.7 FM. And now, Portland's news, brought to you by Portland Natural Gas. A juvenile is in custody after police said he stole his grandmother's car and led authorities on a chase through Tennessee and into Kentucky. Hendersonville Police Commander Scott Ryan said the youth stole the car Tuesday morning. Police later heard the vehicle had been involved in a hit-and-run crash in Gallatin. Authorities initially located the vehicle in Kentucky. Multiple agencies were involved in trying to stop the juvenile. Police said after driving back into Tennessee, he turned around and went back to Kentucky in the stolen car. Authorities deployed spike strips and they were able to stop him. He was taken into custody and now faces charges of vehicle and credit card theft and he remains in prison in Kentucky. An Allen County Detention Center inmate was captured hours after he escaped from the jail Monday morning. According to the jail's website, 28-year-old Hayden Burton was arrested on multiple drug charges. Police said Burton escaped from the jail around midnight Monday, and they have not determined how he was able to get out through the door. But he was back in custody within three hours, according to police. Charges against him have been amended to include first-degree escape, and the investigation is ongoing. The Portland Senior Citizen Center received the check for the $8,000 grant they received recently from the State of Tennessee Commission on Aging and Disability. The presentation was made on Wednesday, September 7th at its future location at 108 Main Street. Members of the State of Tennessee Commission on Aging and Disability attended the presentation of the check by Executive Director James Dunn. Several elected officials were present, including State Representative William Lamberth, Sumner County Mayor John Isbell, Mayor Mike Callis, and Sumner County Commissioner Dylan Lamberth. Development Manager of United Way of Sumner County, Michelle Roselle, and Portland Chamber of Commerce President Sherry Ferguson. Center Director Jamie Rose accepted the check, along with several board members and members of the center. It will use the money for the continued renovation of its new location. The move is expected to be in October. Metro Nashville police arrested a man after crashing his car while impaired and leaving the scene on Friday. According to the arrest affidavit, Cravon Trotter and a passenger were traveling on State Route 45 when they crashed near Archwood Drive in Madison. Trotter fled the scene, but was followed by an alert citizen who let police know where he was. Officers tracked down Trotter, who was injured in the crash, and accompanied him in the ambulance to the hospital. Trotter told officials he was avoiding a person who ran out onto the road when he crashed, but he also admitted to drinking four shots, in his words, prior to leaving his house. Trotter's injuries prevented him from undergoing a full field sobriety test at the hospital, but he failed an eye test. The passenger in his car sustained serious injuries in the crash and was taken to Skyline Medical Center for treatment. 
Trotter was previously convicted of driving under the influence three times in Davidson County and seven other times in Arkansas, Georgia, and Tennessee. The warrant states that two of those convictions were with a child in his vehicle. For this most recent arrest, Trotter is charged with aggravated vehicular assault and evading arrest, as well as driving under the influence. For convenience and cost efficiency, a gas-heated home is your natural choice with natural gas provided by Portland Natural Gas. When you have natural gas in your home, you can have savings in your bank account. Natural gas is the most efficient energy source and can save you up to hundreds of dollars a year compared to other fuels. So for the energy cost you can live with, make the natural choice. Natural gas from Portland Natural Gas. For more information, call 325-6776. Portland's news has been brought to you by Portland Natural Gas. While the hosts and guests on this program are encouraged to express their views, they do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership or management of WQKR. Good afternoon, Sumner County. This is Len Asante, host of The Loyal Opposition, the show, what, the show that believes that healthy democracies recognize how a nation benefits when government reflects a diversity of voices and makes space for dissent. And that's why we're here, to talk about some dissent. On the show today, we have got Marsha Blackburn in the news again. We've got fallout from the state's strict abortion law, and we've got is there a civil war on the horizon? And after the news, we'll be talking to our guest, Jeremy Shipley. Here now the news. It is 5.06 p.m., 80 degrees outside, clear skies. Weather tonight, clear, low of 58 degrees. Story number one, news, uh, civil war on the horizon. A recent, poll pub- a recent survey published showed that of adults in the United States think it is either very likely or somewhat likely that there will be a new civil war in the United States in the next 10 years. Along partisan lines, that there's a bit of a breakdown. 40% of Democrats think this, 54% of Republicans do. How much of this is due to politicians fanning the flames to to secure political points? For example, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina is saying there'll be a riot in the street if former President Donald Trump is indicted for, well, basically stealing secrets and storing them at Mar-a-Lago. Are our politicians fanning the flames of insurrection to score political points if they are, and that leads us to a civil war? They only have themselves to blame. Number two, fallout from Tennessee's new strict abortion law continues. City councils in several cities, including Clarksville, Nashville, and Knoxville, have recently passed measures opposed to the law. In some cases, not just opposing the law, but almost violently opposing the law. The law outlaws abortions from the moment of fertilization and includes no exception for the life of the mother, for rape, for incest, or for fetal anomalies. It only allows what is called an act of defense to physicians who perform abortions, and they can argue, if they can argue satisfactorily that the abortion saved the life of the woman. Even some Republicans in the state think this is too much. Knoxville Republican Councilperson Lynn Fugati voted for the city's resolution condemning Tennessee's new law. 
The abortion, the abortion fight continues, folks. If you thought the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision ended it, you need to sit back and relax because you're going to see a lot more coming your way. The fight is far from over as we see the unintended consequences of quickly enacted and poorly thought out laws designed not to solve problems but appease or fire up a political party's base. Not the reason we should be passing legislation. Speaking of passing legislation, Senator Marsha Blackburn again was in local news with one of her regular editorial screeds published in newspapers throughout Tennessee. This time she argued that the left is in a battle to quote-unquote erase women. Hey, I thought the left was the, uh, was the side that liked women. I guess I was wrong about that. She argues that the left ignores basic biology when fighting the gender wars, that there are only two distinct genders, male and female. Senator Blackburn should know better than to use science to back up her position, as her interpretation is, as usual, wrong. Any biologist, including the one that was just on this program in July, can tell you that it's not that simple, that biologically an individual can have characteristics of both sexes. It's rare, but it does happen. She also ignores the common belief among most scientists that gender is not just a biological construct, that it is cultural as well. What people want is to let, what most people want is just to let people use the bathroom facilities that best reflect who they think there are. Blackburn's red herring of trans athletes having an advantage over women in sports is just that. It's a red herring. It's a way to obscure the true issue and get people angry. We can and will develop policies that govern athletic participation for trans athletes based on where they are in their transition, based on hormone levels, or based on other scientific factors. We can and will solve that problem. It's the same old story with Senator Blackburn. Get the base mad so they can vote and donate money, divide people on issues that should not be inherently divisive, and use that to create another weapon in their unending culture war. No wonder many Republicans think we're heading for another civil war. Their own political leaders are creating fertile ground for just that to happen. Again, legislation should be used to solve problems, not create problems and not to create division in our country. All right, that's all I've got for the news. Now to, make, to lighten things up today, I've got today's trivia question for you, and then we've got some little political humor before we take our first break. Okay, our trivia question today is, uh, we've been talking about music the last couple weeks, favorite concerts, favorite bands. So here's one for you. Name your favorite obscure song. The number one hit from a band you've never, never heard from again, a one-hit wonder, a song that's stranger than any other song, but whenever you hear it, you have to listen to it, uh, a song that's different than all the other songs you like, something along those lines. Let me know what it is. We'll read your answers on the air. Hit us up at Loyal Oppo on Facebook or send me a text if you got my number. Again, that's Loyal Oppo on Facebook. Today's Republican and Democrat humor. Okay. You know you're a Republican if you've never seen a government social services program that you thought was worth increasing your taxes for. You're a Democrat if you've never seen a social program that you weren't willing to spend other taxpayers' money for. <laughs> that one was so funny, we're going to have to do another one. All right. 
uh, you know you're a Republican if you, in protest you change your middle name from Jefferson. You know you're a Democrat if in protest you remove the letter W from your keyboard. Those of us of a certain age probably remember that particular presidential transition. <laughs> okay, one more for the road before our break. You know you're a Republican if your car runs on regular unleaded gas, but you buy Supreme because you like the extra kick you think it gives. You know you're a Democrat if you own a gas-electric hybrid car with lousy power, but you look down your nose at everyone who's passing you on the highway. Ah, so true. Okay, folks, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to start our conversation with Jeremy Shipley. This is WQKR. I'm Lena Santi, and you're listening to The Loyal Opposition. The Sumner County Anti-Drug Coalition, an organization dedicated to ending drug abuse, is now the Sumner Prevention Coalition. But their goal is the same, helping Sumner County residents with drug abuse problems turn their lives around and get on the road to recovery. Their mission is to unite people with vision, commitment, and resources to provide solutions to eliminate substance abuse and make a difference for youth, families, and individuals in Sumner County. The coalition and its staff of experienced professionals in the field envision a healthy, safe, and thriving community free from substance abuse of all kinds, tobacco use, prescription drug abuse, and underage drinking. Find out how the Sumner Prevention Coalition can help you, and you can help the coalition. Visit them online at SumnerCoalition.org. That's SumnerCoalition.org. The Portland Sun is our local hometown newspaper where we can find out all the news about our friends, neighbors, businesses, schools, churches, and everything going on in our area. Every week, the latest issue of The Sun is full of the news we want and need, and it's only $20 a year for a subscription to get it mailed directly to your home. The Portland Sun, our hometown newspaper. For a subscription, call 615-384-6212 or go to the portlandsun.com online and click on the word subscribe no one told them no one warned them about the house on willow lane what is it it's the house it's it's alive here loony have you seen this energy bill Ah, this house is robbing us blind! If your house is an energy thief, TVA and your local power company would like to help make your home more efficient and lower your bills. To learn more, visit energyrights.com. We're CEMC. One of the biggest, best, and most exciting auctions ever in Portland is now underway online and will be available for open house viewing on September 24th. But you can go by and see the collections now at Days Gone By Museum, 122 Davis Street, Tuesday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. and Saturday from 8 until 2. For sale by bidding are the entire collections of the estate of Kathleen Collins and the contents of the museum. The volume and variety of the items up for auction are unmatched anywhere. Antique tractors, trucks, gas engines, steam engines, airplanes, motorcycles, scooters, antique farm equipment, antiques from all over the world. The most complete collection of Maytag appliances anywhere. It's unbelievable. Online bidding is open now at almanauctions.com. That's A-U-M-A-N-N-A-U-C-T-I-O-N-S dot com. So hurry while the good stuff lasts. 
Welcome back, everyone. I'm, L- I'm Len Asante. This is The Loyal Opposition, and you're listening to WQKR, Portland's radio station. Thanks for coming back. Uh, today, as our guest, we have Professor Jeremy Shipley. Uh, and Jeremy is a friend of mine who I've known for a while, and uh, he falls into that really smart guy category. So I thought uh, we'd invite him on to talk a little bit about uh, ethics, economic justice, uh, and how that applies to public policy, especially regarding taxation. Well, Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Len. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Thank you. I've been claiming that you're an, eth- that you're an expert in ethics and philosophy with an interest in economic justice, so I suppose you probably should tell us a little bit about yourself your credentials, your experience, and so on, to kind of, you know, show the people that I wasn't totally making that up. <laughs> right, not totally. Not um, totally. <laughs> well, um, my, I guess my expertise in ethics and social and political philosophy stems from teaching it at the community college level for, well, almost 10 years now I've been teaching ethics. Wow. Um, it's not necessarily the direction I thought I would go teaching. Um, when I did my dissertation, it was in history and philosophy of mathematics. But as you might imagine, there's not too much demand for courses in the philosophy of mathematics, <laughs> <laughs> combining two things people groan at. So, Perhaps that's part of the problem. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, I pivoted to teaching ethics. But I, I was lucky to have an academic background that prepared us to teach lots, lots of different things. Um, so... I did a master's degree at Northern Illinois University, great master's program there that um, forces you to not specialize too much, especially in your um, master's degree. They want you to gain breadth of knowledge and uh, experience. And then also at University of Iowa, where I did my PhD, they do a great job of having us as TAs for a wide range of courses. Um, So the first courses in ethics that I taught and social and political philosophy were both uh, led by uh, Richard Fummerton, who is a terrific philosopher. Uh, uh, I don't know if you could say rare within philosophy. They're more common, but a conservative scholar and uh, a great thinker. So I learned a lot from uh, Dr. Fummerton uh, about teaching ethics and those kinds of things. Excellent. Um, yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, we're, we're tossing around some words here, like mm-hmm. ethics, justice, ethical tradition, values. Can you explain kind of what we're talking about here and, and how it, all that would re- relate to things like a government or an economy, an economic system or, or, or politics? Basically, what does ethics have to do with politics? <laughs> yeah, what does ethics have to do with politics? Um, that's a great question. I mean, uh, when I think of the American political tradition, I think back to John Locke who sure, was a great British philosopher, author of two treatises on government, which were texts that were read up by our founders, uh, contributing author to the Virginia Constitution as well. Really? Um, I, did, I did not know that little tidbit. Yeah. So for um, you know, the founding generation, the idea that ethics has something to do with politics would not have been a, uh, a question, right? Ethics is the study of how we should conduct ourselves, how we should relate to each other, what we ought to do, what has value, what we ought to pursue as a society, uh, those kinds of questions. So um, you, you also ask, like, what does tradition have to do with this? And, uh, you know, that's a question I often ask myself because in philosophy we love to read all these old guys and think about what they said and, you know, 
why? Like, why is why does it matter so much in exactly. philosophy as in comparison with you know science? Uh, you know, of course, scientists revere Einstein, but if you learn about general relativity, you're probably not going to go back and read Einstein. So, why do we care so much about tradition and philosophy? And um, you know, I started thinking about that question, and uh, it called to mind the sort of controversy in classical Chinese philosophy. It's funny because you mentioned uh, the concern about polarization in our society and whether that might be leading to conflict. Yes. I think philosophy is often arises out of conflict, um, either as an attempt to avoid it by trying to find some common ground through reason or um, as a result of conflict, trying to figure out went wrong, what went wrong. Sometimes so, out of chaos, beauty emerges. Yes. So in the classical Chinese uh, philosophical era, um, the golden age of Chinese philosophy came from the Warring States period. Which is oh, early A.D. period. Yes, right? so um, around 400 uh, B.C., I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, two sort of major traditions in there that time are the Confucians and the Moists. And the Confucians sort of had the idea that all of this conflict and chaos and decline came from getting away from tradition. And that what we needed to do was get back to traditional hierarchies and showing respect for each other. Ritual is a big concept in Confucianism. And Sounds like Confucius might have been a Republican. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a conservative, a conservative bent balance, yeah, sure. to Confucianism. Uh, and the Mohists were sort of radical reformers based on a conception of universal love and uh, a recognition that all humans have equal value and sort of new systems need to be put in place that demolish old hierarchies and respect human dignity. Bunch of hippies. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... Um, so we have the Confucians and the and the Mohists and the you know the conservatives who represent tradition and hierarchy and the reformers who represent change and progress and this is a tension that we have in many times in many different civilizations, including ours for, from almost from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so the question arises: What is the status of the status quo? And. Um, I think if you want to be a reformer, if you want to be a progressive, if you want to say things need to change, the onus is on you to justify that. Your standard of justification is a little bit higher if you're the reformer because you're the one who's saying, like, okay, you know, right now some things are good, some things are not great. We're in a society that has gone through a lot of things. We have a post-pandemic, you know, we're dealing with inflation, we're dealing with lots of things, but we're not in the Great Depression. Uh, we're not in the, um, in anything like the, there was an era in Germany and Austria and Hungary during World War I that they call the turnip winter. Okay. Yes. We're not, things could be worse. Things right? could be worse, yes. exactly. Things might not so, be so great, but they could be worse. Yes. So if you're calling for change, uh, if you're the Mohist or the progressive here, you owe us some justification. You're also, you actually have to kind of make two arguments. You kind of have to argue that where we are right now isn't good. And argument number two is I've got something that will make us better. And yeah. you have to convince us of yeah. that. Right. So if the change you're calling for is more continuous with tradition, if you can ground your ideas in tradition, then uh, to some extent you, 
may uh, have an easier time justifying your position. Sure. So sure. I think that's something to think about for those who want to call for radical changes. Um, to what extent is the change you're calling for grounded in the, let's say, American tradition of political philosophy? And it, uh, would, and it would seem that both sides say they're doing that. Yeah, that's right. They yeah. just interpret what the, traditional, what the tradition is differently or emphasize part of the tradition over another part of the tradition. I, I think it's the same thing with, with religion, which we'll get into a little later. Mm -hmm. um, but it, 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 it sure sounds like that we're coming from the same point, but if we're not agreeing on that, what that starting point is, we're going to end up in going off in two different directions. Yeah, that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. And, okay, so ethics then, to summarize, is concerned with what's right and wrong, good and bad, right? Yes. And in terms of political or economic ethics, we're talking about whether an economic or political system is, is good for the people living under that system or not. Uh, I suppose there's many different ways we can define what is good, though, right? Um, because one could argue that what is best benefits most or what is best benefits everybody, even though some are benefiting less than others. Right? There's probably a lot of ways to interpret that. But let me, let me get to the crux of the question, though. Um, do you think Tennessee is an economically just state? Okay, so this is a hard question. It is. Because That's we, why you're here. Yeah, we have to define exactly. economic justice <laughs> before we can answer the question whether uh, we're an economic. And let's see if we state. can answer that part of the question first, then we'll take a break and pick up the second part. Okay. okay? Yeah. So um, how do we define economic justice? There's... There's two major figures in 20th century American political philosophy, Robert Nozick and John, John Rawls. And both of these figures have views that are rooted in traditions that go back to the Enlightenment. Uh, Robert Nozick's philosophy is an extension of John Locke's view that economic justice, at least, is grounded in some notion of property rights and protecting property rights. Um, John Rawls' uh, view is a view that's grounded in the notion of a social contract, which we find going back to the era following the English Civil War uh, when social contract theory was developed. So, you know, we have two competing, you know, poles. And, and they lead to different conclusions. Yes, they do, yeah. Um, so Nozick, Nozick is what you might describe as a libertarian, and at least within economic policy, I would associate that with the Republican Party. Um, maybe not more broadly when it comes to social policy. Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. So that, that view is that economic justice basically comes down to protection of property rights and uh, respecting voluntary transactions. So for Nozick, uh, you know, Nozick has... What would be a voluntary transaction? Um, like me giving you $10 for your ball cap? Sure. That's yeah. a voluntary transaction? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is, you know, one party. I mean, it's, it's based on consent, right? Both right. parties have consented to this transaction, and um, there's no exploitation involved as long as the two parties are consenting. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, the Nozick formula, basically, if you could put it on a bumper sticker, is from each as they choose to each as they are chosen. And... You know, you could think of the relationship between an employer and employee on that mm -hmm. model. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to be here. You can leave and go find another job. 
Um, sure. And so economic justice is transactional within that framework. As long as um, the economic system is respecting voluntary transactions, uh, protecting property rights and contracts, then we have a, an economically just system. Um, so do we have that in Tennessee? I would say to a large extent, yes, um, to a large extent. I think, you know, one, one thing I've been thinking a lot about rightly, lately is this idea of property rights and um, government regulation through zoning. Ah, <laughs> sure. sure. So um, we this... don't qu go quite as far as Nozick might go or like the property rights purist would say, if you own this plot of land, you can do whatever, whatever you, want you want on it, it right. mm -hmm. no matter how it affects your neighbor, right? We have city and county democratically elected officials who come together and put some restrictions on what you can do with your property. Right. Called zoning laws. Zoning and codes, right. Right. yes. Um, so property rights are in that way just constrained by democracy, right? But we also have a democracy that's constrained by property rights. That's kind of our, our basic system, markets and democracy. You might have at one time referred to that as liberalism. Um, coming out of the Enlightenment tradition. Right, That's what, um, sure. Yeah. sure. And these two things sort of in balance with each other, sometimes competing uh -huh. with each other. That's the key to Negotiating right. um, some kind of boundary of privileges, sure. right? All right. Um, I'm going to hold you. We're going to stop you there. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, folks, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation because I believe he said more or less Tennessee is a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're going to see what the less part is about. Uh, again, this is WQKR. You're listening to The Loyal Opposition. We'll be right back. At the Farmers Bank, we want to be your bank for life. We work hard to bring you the products and services that will meet your financial needs no matter where life may take you. Whether you're saving for college, ready for retirement, getting ready to marry, or celebrating your golden anniversary, we're here for you. Visit us online at thefarmersbank.net or at any of our 11 area locations to learn more about how the Farmers Bank can be your bank for life. The Farmers Bank, equal housing lender, member FDIC. It's anniversary month at the Mint Gaming Hall, Kentucky Downs, and you can celebrate two years of fun. Play with your Mint Rewards card all month, and you can be selected to play the high-low drawings, where you can win up to $250,000. How does a Challenger GT sound? We are partnering with Franklin Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram to award one on Friday the 30th at 9 p.m. You can play the free weekly football contest, too. TheMintGaming.com has all the details. The Mint Gaming Hall, Kentucky Downs. Problem gambling? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're looking for a job or a better job, we have good news for you. Habilitation and Training Services, better known as HATS, is looking for direct support professionals, DSP, to work alongside adults with intellectual disabilities by assisting them with community integration, community employment, and activities of daily living in a residential setting. It's a specialized field, but prior experience isn't required. It's a job that's rewarding and meaningful and offers great benefits, including paid time off, health, dental, and life insurance, a retirement program, and longevity pay. And in addition to all that, every night when your day is over, you know you've helped people to have a better life. What a great feeling. What a great job. HATS offers full-time, part-time, and PRN positions for various shifts in Portland, Gallatin, and Springfield. 
For more information, call 615-575-1030. That's 615-575-1030. Or go online to hatstn.org. Hatstn.org. This is a rare opportunity to have a job you love and help other people who need your help. Make the call today, 615-575-1030. You'll be glad you did. It's time again for Panther football. And Graphic Obsessions has all your Panther gear for the season. Right off the rack or get custom printed shirts and hoodies with your favorite player's name and number custom printed and delivered fast. Shop where the Panthers shop. Graphic Obsessions, 105 South Broadway, open Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, or visit our Facebook page. Shop small, shop local, shop Portland Panthers at Graphic Obsessions. It's time to save on the powerfully versatile Kubota M7 tractor with up to 168 horsepower, superior loader lift capacity, and operator-friendly controls and comfort. The hardworking M7, rated number one in durability and owner experience. Now get the Kubota M7 tractor for zero down and 0% APR for 60 months plus $8,000 loyalty cash reward. Now through September 30th. See us or go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Welcome back, Sumner County. This is Len Asante. You're listening to the Loyal Opposition here on WQKR, Portland's radio station. And we're back discussing ethics and economics with Professor Jeremy Shipley. Uh, we've got a couple of messages that have come in that I need to get to real quick. First of all, we have uh, one overly excited listener who thinks Solitude by Black Sabbath is their favorite obscure song. So congratulations there. Keep those coming in, folks. Uh, we, also have a, uh, we also have a question from, uh, let's see, Mike in Gallatin, and Mike is asking Jeremy, I assume he's asking Jeremy because I don't think I know the answer. Um, actually, I think I do. What is the difference between equity and equality? And Jeremy, you said during the break that that, uh, that, that question might help you lead into some other point that you wanted to make as we consider, as we continue discussing these questions. Uh, yeah, it does. I, you know, the way this, those two words are commonly used, or the distinction they're commonly used to draw, is between um, giving everybody the same thing and giving everybody what they need to prosper, let's say. Um, so e equality might be, um, you know, if I, if I give everybody the same size stool, and equity might be if I give everybody the stool they need to be able to reach what they want to reach. Um, okay. So that that's the way those are usually used, and it's a. I think it's a nice question to help me uh, start talking about John Rawls in distinction to Nozick, because I think more or less we have an economically just system under that notion of economic justice that I described earlier. Um, but the question is whether that exhausts the concept of justice, and John Rawls thought it didn't, um, and. He thought that there's more to justice than just um, transactional justice. He thought there was also a, a concept of justice we have that we could call distributive justice. Justice involves fairness or includes fairness. Fairness, right. Yeah. So then the big question is, what is fairness? If you're going to make a claim like this as a philosopher, once you define one term, you'll be charged with defining the next one. <laughs> so I've, I thought I would talk about, you know, three ways this could be defined. One way it could be defined as strict equality. Everybody gets $70,000 a year to live on no matter what they do. Um, some people might think that's what's fair. 
I don't think that's what's fair. Some people work harder than others. Sure. Some people have jobs that provide more value than others. Um, I don't think that's, that's fair, strict equality. Um, another way that we could define fairness is equality of opportunity. This is a favorite formula sometimes of critics of progressives or critics sure. of the left to sure. say that we're guaranteed equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. But I think it would be wonderful if we had equality of opportunity. Gosh, yeah, I think we could easily <laughs> argue equality of opportunity does not exist in this country. No, absolutely. I mean, we would have free preschool, we would have many things, uh, health care, um, things that you need in order to just have a chance to prosper the, the as a person. The school in this neighborhood would be just as good as the school in that neighborhood. Absolutely. Right. So um, neither of those, though, are exactly Rawls' formulation of fairness. Um, being a philosopher, he has a technical thing. I'll try and explain it in simple terms. He, it's called the Maximin Principle. And it's got a name that describes what it is, although it sounds confusing. It's the maximum for the minimum within society. So Rawls would not say pay the doctors just as much as everybody else. Why? Because nobody would do all the work it takes to be a doctor. Sure. And the least well-off in society be, would be worse off if we had no, no doctors. Of right? course, sure. So for Rawls, um, a system is fair when, um, or a, let's say a change to a system. Let's describe it in terms of change. A change to a system is fair when it makes the least well-off better off. And an increase in inequality could be fair under those terms. If we pay the doctors more and we get more doctors because of that and we have better health care for the people, um, including the least well-off people, then that increase in inequality would be fair on the maximum formula. Sure. So you're looking at uh, you're looking at society as a whole, rather than an individual. Yes, and it turns out to be a very hard thing to know whether your society is satisfying the maximum principle. You can have debates about this. Some people might say having more of a social safety net net would benefit the least well off. But other people might say, no, that will actually be worse for the least well-off because it'll create dependency. This is all sure. a debate that people who agree about the maximum principle could have about empirical questions about what happens. They're, they're agreeing on the principle, but they're still not able to agree on the policy or the legislation that would come from that principle. Yes. Right? One of the things I think, just as an aside, I think democracy is a very good process for answering these kinds of problems that a democratic process about what exactly the right balance of policies is to achieve this outcome, it's better than any of us being dictator. Exactly. Uh, as, as, as Winston Churchill said, uh, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest. Right. It's, yeah. it's messy. It's messy. Yeah. So now one of, one of the things I wanted to address is whether, you know, this maximum principle idea is something only a German, only a German socialist could love or whether it's something that's rooted in the American <laughs> political tradition. Right, what would the founding fathers <laughs> think of Rawls? Um, yeah, and uh, so there's some things I've read from Thomas Jefferson that really stand out to me, uh, especially his time in France when he was looking at the conditions of peasants in the uh, French countryside in the 1780s. Um, and uh, there's a letter that he wrote to uh, James Madison uh, the 28th of October, 1785, that addresses just this kind of question. He's walked through the countryside and he's met a peasant woman who's a very, in a very impoverished state. 
Um, and he reflects that um, for there to be unemployed poor who are unable to meet their basic needs while the aristocracy has fallow lands that they use just for hunting, that people are not allowed to plant on and live their lives on, is a grave injustice. And um, he proposes some solutions to this. Um, for one, he proposes that inheritances should have to be divided equally among children in order to break up blocks of property and amassed wealth. Interesting. Yeah. Um, he proposes a land tax in geometric proportion to the amount of land that you own. So the more land you own, the higher your tax rate's going to be. Thomas Jefferson has proposed what we would now call a progressive uh, land tax. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he says something that I think is noteworthy, so I wanted to read this quote. He says, The earth is given as a common stock for man to labor on. If for the encouragement of industry we allow it to be appropriated, we must take care that other employment be furnished. And he says, if we do not, um, then essentially the people have a right to go on those hunting grounds and squat and grow the food that they need to live. Now, I could go into the deep history of this. I've you know, studied this idea of the earth as a common treasury. It appears in Locke, and it goes back into the English Civil War. Uh, a radical preacher named Gerard Wynn Stanley <laughs> said this. So uh, I'm not going to go down that road it, now. Yeah, it's, it's a common theme in, in Native American cultures throughout yes. the West, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the idea of property ownership was confusing. I mean, it's like, yeah, this is here for all of us to use. That's it, right. Uh, now, the Lockean idea is if we create a regime of property rights, that this will generate so much wealth. Um, that it will benefit the least among us to exist in such a system. Um, and the question is, is that true, right? Um, well, I don't think we've ever seen a pure implementation of such yeah. a system. Right? Yeah. And, you know, that's, uh, I think, you know, we, we, we attach labels to governments all over the place, mm -hmm. and whether we like good labels or bad labels, but I don't think there's a pure form of any particular government yeah. out there. Uh, so uh, the reason I asked this question for you in the first place, Jeremy, was that you know, I, had seen, I had seen a report from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, and, and they released a chart that shows that based on total taxes as a percentage of income, mm -hmm. um, the less a Tennessee resident earns, the greater the percentage of that income they end up paying in taxes. Uh, with the lowest 20% paying significantly more than the highest 20%. And, uh, and that seems to mostly derive from uh, sales taxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, that to me didn't seem it was fair in the sense that everyone pays the same sales tax if you go to the store and buy a can of Coke. Mm -hmm. But is it equitable? Yeah. Um, so that's a great question. And... Um, the uh, it's actually a really shocking thing to learn that in Tennessee, for sixty percent of people, the bottom sixty percent, uh, the tax rate is effectively higher than it is in California. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I saw that. That is, that is absolutely. Um, and, and we love to talk about you know the Socialist People's Republic of California and their high taxes, but in reality, there are people in Tennessee who are feeling a tax burden even higher than those people in California yeah. are. And when when we talk about expanding services better funding for the 
I heard a thing the other day. Um, sorry, I don't, I'm not going to take up too much time, but like the um, the foster care system in Tennessee is so underfunded that the caseloads are just overwhelming for people. Right. And right. when we talk about funding these things, when we talk about funding the schools by raising taxes, if you're in those bottom brackets and you're already paying a high tax rate, right, that hits you a certain way. It does. And, um, you know, I think it's hard for Democrats to make the case for improving funding for those things when people are already paying high taxes. And, uh, yeah, I would agree it's not fair. And, like, one thing we could look at in Tennessee that would improve things overall for everybody, I think, is having a, a tax code that is more balanced, um, in terms of the sales and property tax, and uh, I would say an income tax is unavoidable if you want it to be balanced. Right, but of course in Tennessee we are constitutionally forbidden from having an income tax, so that's kind of off the table. Yeah. Um, but it seems there could be other things that we could do to at least try to level the playing field mm-hmm. a little bit. We, we, we depend on the sales tax, obviously, and, and uh, obviously the lower your income, the greater percentage of it goes to things that you are purchasing and therefore paying sales tax on. And, and that seems, uh, whether it's fair or equitable, it certainly doesn't seem to be, uh, it doesn't create a condition where those people have an equal opportunity to move up in their station in life as other people who are less burdened have. It's interesting when Jefferson became president, one of the things he did was abolish internal taxes. And to the anti-tax warriors on the right, Jefferson's sort of a hero for doing that. If you read what he did, he wanted to uh, rely entirely on taxes on imports. On imports, sure, tariffs. Mm -hmm. Which he says he wants to do that because it's only the rich that buy imports. (laughs) So it was still the progressive taxation Jefferson. Um, Right, the the poor people didn't have enough money to buy anything that was coming in on ships from England. Sure. So maybe if we're sticking with the sales tax, we could increase luxury taxes on luxury items and eliminate them on diapers. Some states have, for example, a progressive uh, registration system for vehicles where the more expensive your car is, the more you pay to register it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Okay, uh, we're going to take our our, um, last big break of the hour, and when we come back, I'm going to hit you with... uh, A tough one that I know is probably going to get me in trouble with somebody somewhere, but that's why we're here. We'll be right back, folks. This is The Loyal Opposition on WQKR Portland. What does Kasasa mean to you? If you have a checking account, Kasasa means free banking. That's right. Kasasa Cash and Kasasa Saver are free, reward-based accounts offered only at Volunteer State Bank. No minimum balance to earn the rewards, no monthly service fee, free online banking, and nationwide ATM fee refunds. It's a free checking account that rewards Volunteer State Bank customers with high interest for every month you qualify. Available only at Volunteer State Bank. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. D.T. McCall is your neighborhood mattress superstore at 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette and online at dtmccalls.com. Queenset started only $499.99 at D.T. McCall for beautiful Amish handcrafted beds and many national brands, too. Dr. J's Spinal Series queen-sized bed started just $15.99.99 and 12 months 0% interest is available. Some restrictions apply. 
Also this month at D.T. McCall, high-quality, good-looking LG washers and dryers are on sale, starting at just $649.99 each. Frigidaire and Samsung refrigerators, freezers, and ranges are all on sale, too, with big savings and mail-in rebates. Friendly hometown service, great savings in every department, convenient financing, and free delivery within 125 miles of Carthage. Shop where we shop at WQKR. D.T. McCall, 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC, 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Hello, WQKR listeners. This is Courtney Reiselman from Reiselman Buick GMC, and thanks to you, we're the fastest-growing dealership in the Nashville area. Here's the thing. Our goal is every customer, every time. Our name is Buick GMC, yet we buy pre-owned vehicles all over the country. Mercedes, Toyota, Honda, just let us know, and we'll find it. Did you know our collision and body shop is top rated? Bring it to us, and we'll fix it right the first time. Todd, I, and the team thank you for your support and appreciate your business. We look forward to seeing you. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. and 8 till 6 on Saturday at 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Sumner Regional Medical Center believes that every person has the right to dignity, respect, and compassion as we journey through the cycle of life. That's why they have created High Point Hospice. Our team of doctors, nurses, hospice aides, social workers, chaplains, and volunteers will walk by your side, offering support, providing symptom management, and answering questions to bring comfort and peace to you and your loved ones. For more information about High Point Hospice, call 328-6690. Hey, join me, Kenny Mann, right here on the queue for Wednesday night's Triple Play Sports. It's every Wednesday, and Elijah Jacobs, Phil Tucker, that's Triple Play, and it's right here on the queue. Man, we're talking sports. You don't want to miss it. See you there. Planet Fitness Triple Play Sports, every Wednesday night from 6 until 9 on WQKR, broadcast live and on location from Planet Fitness in downtown Portland. Welcome back, Sumner County. Last few minutes of the loyal opposition. I'm Lena Santi. This is WQKR, Portland's radio station. Uh, finishing up our conversation with Professor of Philosophy, Jeremy Shipley. Um, Jeremy, during your studies, did you study the religious system that we call Christianity by any chance? Uh, yeah, of course I have. I mean, I grew up Catholic. and um, Of course you studied Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was confirmed in the Catholic Church in the 80s and uh, still holds a really important part in my life. When I, uh, last summer, my pap died. And uh, I went to the funeral and the, the service, and we held mass in a small church in, um, outside of Pittsburgh in coal country, um, a church with the working people, the Slovak people who came there to mine coal. And uh, we, we sang a song that goes, you know, is it I, Lord? Is it me? Um, I'm here to serve your people. I could, I could quote it exactly. I will hold your people in my heart. And, well, and that's the heart of my question for yeah. you, actually. Um, do our 
the, the overwhelming majority of our elected officials in Sumner County and in Tennessee uh, claim to be uh, basically Christians. Um, and, uh, and they are the servants of the people by, by definition. Yeah. Considering the nature of our tax system um, and considering the nature of some other policies that they've advocated, supported, legislated for over the past several years, um, do those policies making, we were talking about how camping is a felony now in certain places, and we've talked about regressive taxation, and we've talked about how uh, certain people can't, you know, uh, do things that other people can do, and that certain people shouldn't be allowed to be married and stuff like that. And um, th does it seem like those uh, legislative priorities go hand in hand with the teachings of Jesus? To me, the core of the moral and ethical teachings of Jesus are in the Beatitudes okay. and in the parable of the sheep and goats. And uh, in the parable of the sheep and goats... Lay some sheep and goats yeah, on us, brother. Yeah. Um, it concludes with the, the famous line, whatsoever you do to the least of my people, that you do you unto me. me, which I think has a remarkable correlation with that very technical thing I called the Maximin principle earlier. And in my opinion, you know, if we are talking about having a society that's ethical and just. Um, we should be doing more for the care workers in the state, the people who take care of our elderlies, the teachers who teach our children. Sure. Uh, we should be doing more to make sure that rents are affordable for working people, the people who clean toilets at, you know, in our, the buildings where we work. And, uh, you know, we should be doing more, in my opinion. And I don't think we should kill the goose that lays the golden egg. The free market not. system creates the wealth that makes it possible to treat people better. But I do think we can treat people better. I think we can too. And we, uh, we tend the, uh, you know, we, when we get into these political arguments, we tend to argue from the extremes of each side. And, you know, I hear, I hear the Republicans all the time. We just had a, a Republican County commissioner when asked about why they voted to, uh, uh, seat a county commissioner in that tie to com county commission race. Uh, he said he voted to protect the people from progressive leftism. And uh, I don't really know what progressive leftism is, but it doesn't sound fun. But I, I do believe that uh, a lot of people seem to think that um, the, the Democrats want to overturn the free market system and create some sort of socialist workers paradise. And uh, that clearly is just not the case, at least not from the Democrats that I've met, uh, and especially in Tennessee. So I think we tend to advocate when we argue, we tend to advocate from the extremes. And, and I think personally that a lot of times the common ground in the middle is where, the, where business can get done. Um, you know, you've got some ideas about dealing with income inequity and inequality in Tennessee, and maybe we don't overturn the entire system, but maybe we start a pilot or two in a couple of particular cities or towns or counties, mm -hmm. and we invest a little money and we see what happens, and we, you know, we, we do some research and we gather some data and we do some interviews and, uh, and see if it makes people's lives better. We don't have to overturn the system to try something new. And, uh, you know, I, but it, it seems like when, you know, one side is arguing at the other side, they are coming from such an extreme position that it sounds like the other side is out to destroy the country when really they quite the opposite is true. Anyway, that's enough for me blathering on about that. I want to thank you, Jeremy, for uh, coming and joining us today. Very interesting stuff, very interesting discussion. Uh, folks, I appreciate the comments that came in. 
and uh, sorry we didn't get to all of your questions, but we are just about out of time. Uh, next week, we're going to kind of continue on the uh, theme of justice, only this time from a more judicial standpoint. Uh, next week, our guest is going to be uh, attorney Amanda Gentry, who's going to talk to us about criminal justice issues in Sumner County. Uh, until then, I hope all of you have a wonderful week. Uh, enjoy the beautiful evening. We'll see you next time on The Loyal Opposition on WQKR Portland. Hi, this is Jay Preston, host of a brand new show on WQKR on Sunday afternoons. We call it Americana Country. You'll hear the best Americana and roots music anywhere. We feature singer-songwriters. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Excellent Classic country, bluegrass, and rockabilly, classic rock, and R&B. Join me, Jay Preston, Sunday afternoons, 1 till 4 p.m. on WQKR for Americana Country. Portland's only locally owned hometown pharmacy is Portland Prescription Shop, 705 South Broadway. All right, man. a convenient location, convenient hours, and a free delivery service for all local residents. If you're a former customer of Village Drugs, which closed at the end of March, Portland Prescription Shop will be happy to be your new home for all of your pharmacy and prescription needs. Open Monday through Friday from 8.30 until 5.30 and Saturday 8.30 till 1. Portland Prescription Shop accepts all insurance plans. A big selection of over-the-counter non-prescription medications and sundries. And a $1 and $2 section with a big selection of items at super saving prices. Locally owned and operated, Mike and the friendly staff are looking forward to helping you with all of your pharmacy and medical needs. COVID home testing kits are available now at Portland Prescription Shop, 705 South Broadway. Hometown service, convenience, and free local delivery. Portland Prescription Shop. Here's an important message from Portland Natural Gas. Always looking out for your safety. Think you have a gas leak? First, evacuate the area. Don't use matches, electrical switches, flashlights, or telephones. And report it immediately by calling Portland Natural Gas at 325-6776. If you think the leak is serious and a real dangerous is present, call 911. Portland Natural Gas, looking out for your safety and providing cost-efficient heating and cooling for Portland residents. This area's most complete selection of building materials is at Portland Builders Supply, 462 North Broadway in Portland. They have everything for your home improvement project. Friendly professionals are happy to answer all your questions at Portland Builders Supply. Go by today. Serving your home building and remodeling needs for more than 30 years. Portland Builders Supply, 462 North Broadway. They're the pros, and they're waiting to help you. Did you know that practicing gratitude promotes a positive mindset, strengthens your self-esteem, reduces stress and anxiety, and improves sleep? Hi. Michelle Harbin, Certified Nutrition Coach and owner of Harbin Hollow Local Market here. Being in a state of appreciation is a large part of my daily wellness routine. Since opening Harbin Hollow, I give thanks daily for the many opportunities our little market provides. I'm grateful for the farmers and small batch artisans who share their crops, products, and talents with us. I am grateful for our team and the sense of family we foster. And I am beyond thankful for the Portland community and each of you that continually chooses to shop small and spread the local love. Visit Harbin Hollow Local Market to enjoy local meats, dairy, baked goods, bath and body products, handmade jewelry, and more. Remember, 
67 cents of every dollar you spend at a local small business stays right here in our community. Join me in a moment of gratitude for the opportunity to support so many local folks. And come see us at 809 North Broadway in Portland to shop local today. While the hosts and guests on this program are encouraged to express their views, they do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership or management of WQKR. Music, news, talk, and sports. WQKR Portland.